What is up, Baton Rouge? Welcome to the first edition of the Tiger Pride podcast presented by 225 Magazine, celebrating the passion and the pageantry of LSU football. My name is Mark Clements. I'm the digital content editor over at 225 Magazine, here with my good friend, Jarrett Roser, who's going to be alongside us all this football season. Before we get too much into the nitty-gritty of the upcoming season, just wanted to give a little bit of background on the two of us uh, so you guys can get to know us a little bit. Jarrett and I first worked together back at the Daily Reveille in college at LSU, covered all kinds of LSU athletics then. Fast forward a few years after graduation and a couple jobs in the real world, we found ourselves teaming up to cover Baton Rouge sports again for NOLA.com, the Times-Picayune, for about two more years Between the two of us, we have uh, nearly 20 years of experience covering sports uh, from the prep level to college, mainly at LSU, and even dabbled in the professional sports world. Uh, You'll find me now mainly at 225 Magazine doing anything from writing to editing to social media, videos, photo galleries, and I guess we can throw podcasts in there now, uh, and so much more in between. You can find all that good stuff at 225batonrouge.com. As for Jarrett, he now works on campus for LSU Global, but he's also the founder of datboot.com, which highlights feature stories on Louisiana athletes of all levels, as well as the Louisiana versus All Y'all LLC. And I will say, if you haven't gotten over to check out that merchandise, go visit datboot.com, that's D-A-T-B-O-O-T.com, and browse the shop. There's some really cool stuff on how to show off uh, all your Louisiana pride. Jared's also a award-winning sports writer, the co-host of That's What She Said on 104.5 ESPN Radio. He's a godfather. He's a wedding officiant. He's a bucket hat enthusiast. So he literally wears many different hats. Jared, thanks for being a part of this. Kind of our second year doing this, first time doing it uh, in this platform. But uh, excited to start the year? I'm so excited to start football season and now I'm somehow more excited after listening to the way you just introduced me. That was incredible. Thanks, man. Yeah, you got it. This is by your own, by your own admission, bucket hat enthusiast, amateur rapper. What what don't you <laughs> amateur do? in quotes? <laughs> so in this first episode, we're going to take a look at our biggest storylines to watch uh, for the upcoming season, whether it's players, position groups, matchups, that sort of thing. Uh, just kind of an overall peek at what we're expecting from the Tigers in 2017. Then we're going to transition a little bit and take a look at LSU's entire schedule as a whole and break down some of the biggest matchups and toughest weeks throughout the year um, and kind of see how we think the season is going to shape up. Uh, Jared, I'll let you kick it off. Um, Let's start with uh, what's one of the biggest preseason storylines that's kind of caught your eye heading into the season. Yeah, man, I'm I'm trying to figure out exactly which way to best order these, but as much attention, I guess, as people are paying to new offensive coordinator Matt Canada – one thing that I think we may see that we haven't seen in a few years is more receivers, uh, not just wide receivers, but receiving options for the quarterbacks getting involved mm-hmm. um, on a more consistent basis. Obviously, for years, the lack of tight end usage had, had been a, an issue, and we always wondered why they didn't get Leonard and Darius more involved in the passing game for a few years there. And I think this could be... An, probably will be the first year that LSU has had three receivers go over 300 yards in a season since 2012 when obviously Juice Landry and Odell Beckham mm-hmm. were still here but like we were talking about the the other one Kadron Boone probably would have not not gotten a lot of uh, right. correct answers on trivia night 
Um, I don't know who those guys are going to be, though. There's still a lot of yeah. question marks, but I think it's going to work itself out, and you're, you're going to have not just DJ, but a couple of other guys get heavily involved. And I'll kind of use that to parlay into one of my first ones, which was this new, I guess they're calling them F-back positions, which they're kind of combining the the fullbacks and the tight ends. And just kind of off the top of my head, I jotted down some of the names that, that popped up that fit that role. And you kind of, you're all over the board. I mean, Foster Morrow, J.D. Moore, David Dukery, Caleb Roddy, Rakeith and Mouton, Jamal Pettigrew, Ja'Cory Washington. I mean, there's just so many guys that kind of fit that bill. And maybe this kind of goes into what you're saying about how they're going to be used, more uh, options to, to pass to, maybe some creative ways to get them the ball, whether it's shovel passes or unique little handoffs that Matt Cannon likes to do. Uh, do you have any sort of just from guys you've talked to from what you've seen on Matt Canada's offense or in practices, that kind of thing, on what kind of to expect out of that group? Or I mean, are you kind of in the dark as, as the rest of us? Yeah, I mean, it's it's supposed to look a lot different and see a lot a lot more, I guess, varied looks than we'd necessarily seen, see them spread things out a little bit more than we've seen, obviously, is, is what everyone's been waiting for and has been told is going to likely be the case um and kind of piggybacking i guess off both of our first points i I think you mentioned some things like shovel pass and things like that um i think more running backs and tight ends end up in the end zone in the receiving game i think that they'll utilize that a lot more in in red zone type scenarios than we've maybe seen i and I've, I mean, I've got enough other points. That I won't take that as like my second point <laughs> okay. or anything. But I, th- I think that that is something that we can expect to see as well. And well, I guess while we're on these smooth transitions, one of my <laughs> next one of my next points was that these running backs, and especially a guy like Daryl Williams, who you, his name just keeps popping up in these press conferences. Whether it's Coach O, uh, Matt Canada, even some of the other running backs, we hear about the weight he's lost. And you just kind of curious about what he is as a back, as a runner, what kind of runner is going to be when, with his new weight loss, what kind of runner is going to be in Matt Canada's offense. Um, the one game where he kind of had enough carries to, to be, you know, the quote-unquote, the guy, which I know Darius played and, and, and crushed it in this Missouri game, but Darrell also had 21 carries, 130 yards, and three touchdowns. And again, not a, not a stout Missouri team, but still significant, you know, a, a, a conference game, and you can – you, know, you think you can trust him when you give him that many carries and he and he gives you that, that kind of production. Um, so he was he's a guy, and really Claude edwards I was kind of slipping in there, the, the true freshman out of Catholic High. We have some quote from Darius Geis about uh, how he's looked this season so far and how he's kind of been turning heads. What I can say about that is just, you know, me and him, you know, watching each other since we were little, you know, the same thing, you know, happened to me when I first got here. You know, I was surprised at camp and stuff, you know, I turned everybody's head. You know, it's just the same thing, you know. Um, I taught him a lot while we were at Catholic. And, um, he, you know, he's doing what I expected he would do. You know, I expect nothing less of him. But I guess kind of going off that, I'll let you take your next points. I kind of stole a couple of them there. <laughs> oh, no worries. I'm, I think those are going to be great guys to watch because as, as much as everyone expects a huge season from Darius after last year, mm-hmm. they'll need – a complimentary guy or two in that backfield right. and I think Daryl being the most veteran of the group is is a prime candidate for that and then Clyde is just kind of a different type of guy that so, so when they're do, trying to do a lot of those different things that we expect Matt Cannon to try and do he'll be a nice change of pace um, and then another guy going back out to the receiving group when I was saying I didn't know who the guys might end up being that end up over 300 yards I'm not positive that this ends up being one of them, but I think Russell Gage is a guy that 
I mean, he got to LSU a couple years ago as a DB, and now I think he has as good of a chance as as being the guy or one of the guys to primarily step up beyond the veteran DJ Shark as anyone. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think Russell Gage is going to be an interesting guy to watch. We saw him get involved last year in the passing game and I think kind of surprised some people, and I think he has a chance to take another huge step forward on that offense. He's an interesting guy. You and I got to see him a little bit in high school, Redemptorist, and he was kind of Mr. Everything for them. He played, yeah. I mean, every position <laughs> essentially on the field. He kind of did everything. And you see his, his athletic ability and, and kind of what he can do with the ball in his hands. And, again, he made that catch against Auburn last year. That was, I mean, didn't count because it snap came a little bit late. But just the, you see the athleticism. You see the hands. You see the progression he's made at that position. Um, so I'm right there with you on that one. We want to take a short break to remind you of all the ways you can digest 225 Magazine. Our August issue is on newsstands now chalk full of LSU content, including our cover story on Darius Geis and John David Moore and their camaraderie both on and off the field, as well as feature stories on defensive lineman Christian Lockature, linebackers coach Dennis Johnson, defensive line coach Pete Jenkins, the Death Valley DJ, the Golden Band from Tigerland, and so much more. We've also got you covered on your game day fashion and the best way to tackle your tailgate no matter what time kickoff is. You can find all of this online at 225batonrouge.com or on facebook.com slash 225magazine and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 225batonrouge. And now, back to some football. Um, I'm going to flip the script a little bit. I'm going to go on the defensive side of the ball. And while Gage is a guy who's been on campus for a little while, these three freshman linebackers are guys who have not. And... They're going to need to contribute early and often. Talk about Jacob Phillips, Patrick Queen, Tyler Taylor, um, guys that were headliners in this past recruiting class. But if you look at the linebackers LSU's had recently, especially last year, if you're just kind of putting it in Aranda's defense, they had Kendall Beckwith and they had Duke Riley and you had a freshman, Devin White, last year. And you didn't really see a ton of other guys besides those three kind of cycling in and out. Um and you have guys like Donnie Alexander, obviously Devin White's back this year, and you have those those buck rushers on the end, which I'll, I'll get to in, in a little bit. But those those three guys in the middle who are going to be called on early, um, I'm really curious to see how their development is, especially when you have Dennis Johnson coaching those his first year. Talk to him in the in the offseason uh, for, for our print edition in 225. Um, and he had good things to say about all these guys and, and what he expects out of them. And he, you know, he's not lowering expectations for, for them, despite the fact that it's their first year on campus. He expects them to come in and they're going to play early and they're going to play often. So I'm <clears throat> kind of putting a star around those three guys as, as guys to watch on the defensive side of the ball. Very similarly, just getting back into that secondary, I think as much of a let up as you could expect to see with guys like Jamal Adams, Tredavious White going to the NFL, Mm -hmm. uh, Ricky Jefferson, Dwayne Thomas, and on down the line of all those veterans uh, either graduating or leaving early in in Jamal's case. I think the young DBs are going to be reliable pretty quickly. And I look at Greedy Williams and Grantell Pitt as, Mm -hmm. as two guys that really stand out to me, but even beyond that, um, I mean, Kerry Vincent's a guy that stands out, right. um, and th- really, there's there's a ton of them. But the two that really stand out to me atop that list are, are Greedy and Grant. Mm-hmm. And of course, we saw Dante Jackson. I mean, you think about 
Kerry Vincent, Dante Jackson on the field at the same time. Just the amount of speed they can have they can have out there. Which sort of goes into my next point, which I think in some ways defies some kind of logic because you're losing that many guys, especially in the secondary, you worry about what the pass rush is going to do. I think a lot of those sacks that came last year, it was 36 sacks for the team last year, 44 is the most in a season, which was that 03 team, that dominant defense. But 33, 36 sacks last year, you wonder how many of those were calls because of the, of the coverage in the secondary and allowing the, the D-line to get the pressure up. So I know it kind of defies logic when you lose a guy like Trey White, you lose a Jamal Adams back there, Dwayne Thomas, Ricky Jefferson, all these experienced guys who could stick with their man downfield and, and let those Arden Keys, Lewis Neals, those hardworking guys get up in, in, in the quarterback's face. I, I do feel really confident in the pass rush again this year. I think you have a lot of young guys, a lot of athletic guys. I know Arden may miss a game or two in the beginning. He's well, he gets kind of gets back into football shape. But just everything you've heard about Ray Thornton, uh, Caleb Vaughn, Chason, uh, Andre Anthony. We saw him a lot last year, and he just looks like he's in. I mean, didn't lose, didn't despite not playing last year, didn't didn't lose anything physically. And then even disguised on the outside, uh, Corey Thompson just playing outside linebacker, a former defensive back. And then we touched on Kerry Vincent, Dante Jackson. There's just so much speed and so many pure pass rushers and guys who can get to the quarterback that I'm don't know if I want to. I just I'll say it. I'll give a bold statement and say they beat last year's sat number. I know that sounds Ooh. dumb. I'm saying they passed 36, uh, especially if Arden Key comes in late, gets a couple games rest. Uh, Martha, that was my, my bold prediction for the year. <laughs> I really like that young group that you mentioned uh, on the the flip side of things with Ray Thornton, mm-hmm. uh, Dre Anthony, Caleb Vaughn, and a lot of those guys as they were being recruited. I thought of in this like baby Arden type mold, right, just that, right. that quickness that they have out there, the ability to get get around guys. And so I think that's really interesting if, if those guys can get established, particularly early as they're waiting on, on Arden to, to get back out there uh, full time, I, I think that could be interesting. And I guess we're in the, the, bold, <laughs> the bold prediction segment now. Um, on the flip side... I think that maybe LSU allows more sacks than they have in a couple of years. And one of the reasons I guess I'll get into with my with my fifth mm-hmm. my fifth uh, prediction or, or key to watch, but they haven't allowed 20 sacks on a season by, I guess, fin- final season statistics, including bowl games mm-hmm. and things like that in, I think, three years. The last two years they haven't. And I think... And don't hate me, offensive linemen, but I, I think this year they, they could hit that 20 number, get into the low 20s. We just they saw so many of these departed O-linemen, and then you have some of these nicked-up guys, and you're going to be calling upon a bunch of freshmen to come in early. So I don't think it's super far-fetched. I, I, I hope for the – you feel good about the starting five, and you hope that the starting five can stay healthy. That's just a big ask of, yeah. of O-linemen. Um, you're talking about a position that on day one – Coach Orgeron says depth is a concern, and then their most experienced player in that unit transfers a couple days or is seeking a transfer right. a couple days later. Um, I mean, literally within 48 hours, they're making that announcement that he's leaving the team. And so then you have Lloyd Cushenberry get into the mix, a guy that we probably didn't think was going to play this early on. And so depth is a concern, some youth is a concern. Um, some late changes and needing to get some chemistry right. So, yeah, I mean, there there might be some growing pains there, uh, particularly if, if any injuries come into play. Mm-hmm. And the last thing that I will touch on is the special teams. And I think this is one thing that 
um, pretty much everyone, all Tiger fans are going to kind of agree on is just seeing more aggressive and smarter and just all around, I mean, not, not else to say, but just better special teams. Um, from the kickoffs, there were so many frustrations with the kickoffs last year, kicking the ball out of bounds and trying to place it in between that the one-yard line and the five-yard line to maximize the field position, and I get it, but you just know that's not the way Coach O is going to run it. Um, and then on returns, I just, I'd just i look for LSU to be a little more aggressive, putting some of these speedy guys like a, maybe a Drake Davis, a Clyde Edwards-Elo. We saw Dante Jackson bring one a kickoff return back to the house in Tiger Stadium last year. It was called back for a flag, but um, just these elite guys. LSU was 11th in the conference in kickoff return yards, 10th in the conference in punt return yards last year on average. Um, to just not where you expect LSU to be with the amount of athletes and speedy guys they have uh, on the fields. I, I think that's going to be an area that they look to improve and capitalize on, be more aggressive and make that into a, a positive rather than just a neutral part of the game. And saving, I think, maybe the boldest for last. I told you what, what <laughs> this one was that I've been sitting uh, yeah, on. I'm glad you saved it for last. This is the drop of the bomb. I feel very confidently that Miles Brennan will start games in 2017, and I think there's a really good chance that at least one of them, if not more, happens before the calendar turns to October. So don't be shocked <laughs> if one of those first, what, four games – Freshman Miles Brennan is the starting quarterback. You're going uh, <laughs> to get a lot of LSU fans who are either really excited or really fired up or something with this call. That's not a guarantee, uh-huh. but I'm saying do not be surprised. I, I feel like there's a really good chance that that happens. I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious how his progression has been. Just when you look at the between the numbers, you know, his first scrimmage, he had, what, four passes, and then you see him have 12 passes, and then he gets 20 passes. They're, they're, I think he's a clear-cut second string quarterback on day one yeah so I mean that's not even yeah for debate and so now you think about an injury happens but you're saying despite injury or injury not injury you're saying Miles could take this job over at some point this season and then maybe as early as October yeah um, even potentially without an injury I'm not going to be surprised if he is starting by by that Syracuse game or by that Troy mm-hmm. game so I guess that gives me a little bit more wiggle room because right. they have five. They have five right, games right. in that month. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a really good chance. And as much as some of the depth chart has been tried to downplay, mm-hmm. and you know, my I went before Lindsey transferred. Oh, Miles Lowell right. and Lindsey are all tied. They're right there. Justin, whatever. Miles is is the biggest threat right now to Danny Etling's position, and I I think that we see him at some point and potentially pretty early. Can we drop a, you heard it here first? Has, has, anybody, else, has anybody made this call yet? I don't know, man. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll use it. You heard it here first. You heard it from Mr. Jarrett Roser. And here's a little soundbite uh, from Danny Etling talking about the development of Miles Brennan and how he's kind of been uh, somewhat of a mentor to the young quarterbacks. Yeah, especially as a freshman. Uh, I know where I was at, just like even outside of football when, when he was, you know, his first camp and and uh, you know you have those those moments where you got to struggle to go through some some things you have, you know just life in general as a, as a freshman. So that's something that I, I'm always willing to help with, and something that I I can really relate to uh, on a personal level. So uh, there is a lot of stress that comes with you know coming in right away and being asked to you know take first team reps and, and compete for a job. And 
and be a, a guy that can you know, lead a team under center. So with that, you know, you have to manage the situation well and you have to understand uh, not to let you know the pressure get to you and not to get too worked up about it and try and work too hard. And that's something I struggled with early on. And, and you know, I still struggle with a lot of things today, uh, you know, with with many aspects of my game. So I'm, I'm not a finished product by any means, but you know, I, I try and share what I what I have learned throughout my career with with all the younger guys that you know, if they ever need anything or need help, they can just ask me. So let's get into the schedule a little bit, and this is kind of where we'll wrap up. Is looking at the the season overall. Uh, next week's podcast will focus more a little bit on BYU and what we expect out of that game. But let's just kind of start, um, I guess, with that BYU game, um, and just again, we'll get more detailed next week. But just in general, how do you see this game kind of unfolding? I think it will be closer than a lot of LSU fans would like it to be. But that LSU still ultimately wins. Mm-hmm. Maybe they, they stretch it out a little bit late. But I think for a while, some some folks in purple and gold might be a little bit more frustrated than they would like to be just because they probably don't know a lot about BYU and don't expect to see LSU challenged by anyone outside the SEC typically, uh, particularly in those early season games. But I think it. I mean, I think it could be close, but you know, a one and zero start for LSU. Yeah, I think I agree with you. And this BYU is kind of a weird game. They are pretty competitive, no matter who they're playing. They don't really get blown out a lot. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that a lot of those guys are a lot older too. Mm-hmm. You're going to have these 22 to 24 year old guys playing against these 18, 19 year old kids in some matchups, um, just given the nature of the school. Um, and it just just kind of feels like one of those games that around halftime, it's it's pretty close. Maybe a, a single digit one score game and then maybe LSU runs away with it closer to the second half but yeah I agree with you I think LSU starts off 1-0 I'll go ahead we won't break down Chattanooga too much now I'll just I'll pretty much chalk up a W for both of us in that yeah. in, in that game this at Mississippi State game I'm, I'm not going to put it down as a loss but that is kind of a, a tricky game going on the road to state third week against Nick Fitzgerald in that offense again not going to put it down as an L but just but just kind of watch out for that game in my, in my mind yeah, I, f- I feel pretty similarly. Hopefully for LSU, they can get a lot of their kinks worked out in that first true home game against Chattanooga and go to Starkville kind of hitting their stride a little bit because, you I mean, you mentioned Nick Fitzgerald. That, that guy's a playmaker. Mm-hmm. And to go on the road to an SEC opponent with a lot of the young guys that – will be called upon for LSU. I mean, that could be interesting, but I ultimately agree that that LSU goes out there and wins. We'll do the same thing we did with Chattanooga. No offense to Syracuse or Troy. We'll just jot down a couple W's there. Um, This Florida game is going to be very interesting when you look at all the dynamics of last year and just kind of how this rivalry has turned more and more intense uh, over the past couple, really, months and, and, and just couple years. If there is going to be an, I guess, early season loss, I think it comes on the road at the swamp. Um, there's still a lot of questions with Florida in terms of who wins that quarterback job and and how that's that their offense is going to shape up. But a lot of talent on that defense. This is going to be the first, uh, the biggest test for LSU early, and this is kind of where you're going to know. Besides that Mississippi State game, this is where you're really going to see what kind of LSU team you have in the end for 2017. Yeah, really those next two games, the at right. Florida and then coming home against Auburn, where a lot of people are getting pretty high on Auburn of late. I'm not going to be surprised if they drop both of those games, yeah, honestly. Either. I, I kind of think they split, and I'm not sure in which order. 
but that's that's a tough two game stretch. Um, maybe the toughest back to back that they have all season. I mean, it's you look at that, or obviously Bama, Arkansas. Right. Um, so I don't know. This that's where things get get real. But I, yeah, I, I give them a split. I guess. I think I'm gonna give them a split too. I think they probably drop that game at Florida. You feel confident just the way the Auburn series has gone in the past. The home team is is traditionally won that game, um, and Coach O is one to get get guys fired up. And especially they don't have as many home games this year as you'd like. But um, I, yeah, I think I think that Auburn game you, you'll you'll get at home. That again, not gonna be an easy one, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they drop both. But I'll I'll give them a split there. They follow that up going to Ole Miss. Um, I've seen some people give LSU a loss on the road at Ole Miss. I'm I'm not really buying that. I think they they take a W there. Um, this Ole Miss team is just kind of falling apart. I know Shea Patterson's a player, but just all the everything that's happened there the past couple of months with the Hugh Freeze and the sanctions and um, all this stuff, these off-field distractions, it's just tough to see LSU going there and uh, taking a loss. Yeah, that's that's my mindset as well. There's There's just so much going on with that football program right now that – I mean, LSU, for any of these predictions that we've made or any of the youth that we're talking about, they're still a, a heck of a talented football team. And by this point in the schedule, a lot of that youth will have had a chance to grow up quite a bit. So I think they go to Oxford and come home with a win. Then they got the bye week, and then they travel on the road again to Alabama. Jarrett Roser, is this the year LSU breaks the curse? I was on radio a couple weeks ago giving – Carly McCord, the breakdown of how I thought they could beat Bama this year, but I don't think they're <laughs> going to beat Bama this year. I, I mean, I think it's possible. I think they're a talented team, but a team that has questions in terms of depth on the offensive line and maybe has some uncertainty at quarterback and has a lot of inexperience, probably not going to Tuscaloosa and winning. Just, I mean, I think a lot of that is more in – in attribute to or respect for, sorry, Coach Nick Saban mm-hmm. and what's been built at Alabama than it is a knock on the LSU football team. But I think Alabama is just going to be one of those couple elite last team standing yet again this year. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, just always a tough game. I mean, it's Bama and you got a first-year head coach installing a new – I mean, there's just so many factors to this. Um, I mean, you mentioned LSU as a talented team, and, and at this point, they should be getting their stuff together. So you you know anything can happen. Not to not to trash all hopes of of winning at Bama. Anything can happen. This you know when you're a program like LSU, you're always going to have the talents to compete in these games. Um, but I think that they take their second loss there, and I think LSU closes out strong. I think they have uh, they have three wins after Bama. If they don't have that that slump, they have that less miles slump where they just never showed up against Arkansas. I think they have three winnable games to close the season out strong. And I think if you can do that and pull off a 10-win season, I'm calling that a huge success for Coach O in his first year. Um, I think they keep that streak going against A&M. At Tennessee, Butch Jones is kind of struggling over there. He might be on the hot seat. And then same thing with Brett Bielema. This is maybe not a deciding year for him, but – He's going to have to, to turn that program around a little bit. I, I just think they have three very winnable games at the end of the year, finish off 10-2, and two, um, and then a good bowl game. 
they I think they're capable of winning those last three for sure. And whether they whether they do, I guess, remains to be seen. That Arkansas game has been such a crazy game yeah. every year, particularly on the heels of the Alabama game. You're talking about an experienced secondary that Arkansas brings down here. I mean, I think a couple years ago we thought LSU would take care of Arkansas in Tiger Stadium. They didn't. Uh, Austin Allen's a, a pretty good SEC quarterback. And, it, I mean, that game's just been a tricky game for them. They, I think Arkansas of that last group is the is maybe the best overall team. Mm-hmm. But then you have to go to Neyland Stadium, which is a tough place to play. And really, I I, th- I agree that if they if they finish ten and two, that's an exceptional year for this football team to me. Which is interesting because they just fired a guy that the biggest knock was, oh, well, there's all these ten win seasons and we want to win national championships. Yeah. I I don't expect them. To only lose two, See, I, I don't know. I don't know what the third and potentially fourth losses are. Right, but I I just think they happen. I, that's kind of how I feel because there's always there's always one of those games. I mean, I, look at the Florida game last year. I mean, LSU dominates pretty much every statistical side of the game except for the one that counts, which is the scoreboard. Just the you know the wrong things that happen at the wrong time, and then you find yourself with a loss that you really shouldn't have lost. And I think that probably happens somewhere, especially when you consider all the youth and and um, just new schemes, new faces, new coaching staff, all that kind of stuff coming into play. Out, out of these last three, if there is one they drop, which one? Because all three have kind of an, an interesting perspective. With you mentioned that Arkansas game is always just kind of wild. Tennessee is tough to play. You know AM is going to want to cut that streak of, what, five straight losses to LSU since they joined the conference. If you had to pick one that LSU drops in those last three, what would you what would you say? I'm, I might say Arkansas. Just back-to-back. It's that, at that yeah. point, you wonder if you can pick it back up for that Tennessee game. Yeah. I think, I think of the Florida-Auburn, mm-hmm. Arkansas, and Tennessee group that they lose two or three of those games – Probably, mm-hmm. although that's tough to say because I think kind of similar to that Florida game, what it's going to come down to in a few of those is it's just going to be close and it'll come down to a couple of plays that could swing things either way just because the score is so close. But Arkansas, I think I look at as being maybe the likeliest loss of the last three games, even despite it being at home and, and everything that I just said about Neyland being a tough place to play against Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And that'll just about wrap it up for the first episode of the Tiger Pride podcast presented by 225 Magazine. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. If you have any questions you want answered about the team, stuff you want us to ask certain players or coaches, we'll be here all season long. Just let us know and we'll we'll fit it in next episode. A big thanks to Jarrett Roser for doing this with us this season. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Jarrett Roser and get to datboot.com to check out some Louisiana versus all y'all merchandise. Don't forget to follow 225 Magazine on all the social medias, 225batonrouge.com, facebook.com slash 225magazine, and on Instagram and Twitter at 225batonrouge. We'll keep you caught up with uh, LSU all season long. And if you want to stay caught up with me, I'm on Twitter at MarkClements225. And don't forget to go to their website and sign up for the Best of 225 newsletter where you can catch each one of these episodes in your inbox every Thursday morning. Go to 225BatonRouge.com and click sign up for the newsletter right there on the homepage so you can get these to you every week. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week.